John Leake's new book, The Vienna Woods Killer, is one of the most meticulous and thought-provoking reconstructions of the life and mind of a serial killer ever written. It's an extraordinary true story that in a novel would be called too audacious and far-fetched to be plausible. The murders he describes take place across two continents and in half a dozen different cities, but normally cosy, law-abiding Vienna is the epicentre of this grisly tale of death and deception. When John visited London recently, I began by asking him to describe the events that were taking place in Vienna in the spring of 1991. Well, four prostitutes disappeared from the red light district. The police immediately suspected this isn't just random disappearances, the girls going to Italy or something like that, that they are are being abducted. And at the end of May, uh, the weather suddenly after a very long and rainy spring, the weather suddenly got warm and everybody headed out to the Vienna woods to go for a stroll and immediately, one right after the other, uh, two bodies were found. And the police could see by looking at the crime scenes that it was almost certainly the same murder of both women. Um, Tell tell me what kind of effect these murders had on, on the city and on media. Well... Coincidentally, the film The Silence of the Lambs was playing in the cinema, in the cinemas of Vienna at the exact same time. And everybody was fascinated by Hannibal Lecter. So I think insofar as, as the typical Viennese was reading about these murders, and they were very, very broadly covered in the press, I think the interest was, who is this killer? And one of the people who covered the case for the media was a freelance journalist who did a, who did a piece for the, the Austrian National Radio Network. Yeah, there was a journalist who felt like the readership of these various newspapers and magazines is only interested in the killer, um, this kind of Hannibal Lecter-type killer. He felt like somebody should tell the story from the point of view of the women, And he felt like he had a special qualification to tell the story from the point of view of the women because, as he claimed, his own aunt was a prostitute who had been murdered by her last customer. He went and got a a freelance assignment with Austrian National Radio to do a broadcast, and he titled it The Fear in the Red Light District. And he went and interviewed the chief of police, about how the investigation was proceeding, and he also interviewed women on the street, asking them about uh, their murdered friends and are they afraid and so forth. And the murders had awakened some some distant memories for a, a retired policeman in, in Salzburg, another Austrian town. Yes, um, there was a, a retired Salzburg inspector named August Schenner, and Schenner had investigated a murder in Salzburg in 1973, which was officially unsolved. But Schenner was convinced that he had indeed solved the crime. He knew who the killer was. The remarkable coincidence is that uh, when Schenner began reading about the series of murders in Vienna, the press was referring to the killer, the unknown killer, as the Vienna Woods killer. When Schenner read about the Vienna Woods killer, they reminded these murders reminded him of the case that he investigated in 1973. In both Salzburg and in Vienna, 
girl picked up in the city, driven out into a wooded area, bound, her, her hands tied behind her back, and sexually murdered. And the, there was something about the whole modus operandi of the crimes in Vienna that reminded him of this murder he investigated in Salzburg. The, 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 the modus was, was identical. But the Viennese police didn't treat him entirely seriously, or didn't, didn't get around to investigating it very thoroughly. Well, Schenner called the Viennese police and said, hey, I've been reading in the newspapers about this, this so-called Vienna Woods killer, and I think you should take a good look at this author who was paroled the year before, exactly a year before, and consider him as a suspect uh, for these murders that are happening in Vienna right now. The author in question was none other than the journalist who'd come in to interview the Vienna chief of police about the, these murders for the broadcast on Austrian national radio, Jack Unterweger. And this was a man who had quite recently been released from prison. He'd served a 15-year sentence for another murder. Yes, although Schenner was not able to persuade the Salzburg district attorney to prosecute Jack Unterweger for the murder in Salzburg, Jack had been prosecuted and convicted for a murder he committed the following year in 1974 in Germany. So Jack sat in prison for 15 years, uh, after serving 15 years of his life sentence, uh, he was paroled. Um, upon uh, his release, he moved to Vienna in May of 1990, where he lived as a freelance journalist, uh, author. He published a couple of books between 1990 and 1991, and as a playwright. This was a man who went into prison as a 24-year-old, a, a small-time hoodlum, a pimp, a thief, violent man, but he came out, and when he came out, he was the darling of the Viennese literary establishment. How had this transformation come about in those intervening years? He began serving his prison sentence in 1976, and in 1979, he submitted his first children's story to Austrian National Radio, and thus his career as a children's story author was born. I think a lot of people listened to Jack's children's stories. It was a, a, a radio broadcast, kind of a good night program in which children's stories would be read to, to the children before they went to sleep. That was his, the first rec recognition that Jack got was for these tender little children's stories. And that, that in itself is quite astonishing, that someone who's a violent killer should be broadcasting children's stories on, on national radio. Yes, um, I think that Jack understood children's stories could sort of play into the mythology that he himself didn't have a happy childhood. And this, this really touched a chord, particularly with women who listened to the children's stories. And, and I think this was one thing that, that Jack understood well and that he did well his entire life was he had an enormous appeal to women. He himself was a, a very small boyish looking man all, all the way up into his 40s he had a sort of almost eerie boyish appearance and many women with whom i've talked about the case have said that that's what he was like he was like a naughty little boy and that was the effect that that he had on them and and he had this this way of appealing to to women's mother 
maternal instincts. So I think starting with children's stories was strategically a, a good move for Jack. In 1982, he published an autobiographical novel, but he always claimed in interviews and letters that he wrote to, to, to people about the book that it, 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 it was in fact a true account of his childhood. The title of the autobiographical novel was Purgatory. I think the title was a brilliant move on Jack's part because it conveyed the idea that his prison sentence was a, a kind of a way station on the road to, to redemption, that he would remain in prison for a certain period of time, um, reflect upon the crime that he committed, and ultimately find redemption um, and, and freedom, mo most importantly. So he was a man creating a self-mythology around him of, of redemption through writing, and broadcasting this to the, exactly the right ideologically susceptible, um, if you like, uh, readership. And it worked, didn't it? Well, it worked very well. And I think that it's an example in history of, of uh, the timing was perfect. Uh, criminal rehabilitation was very much in vogue in Austria in the 1970s and 80s. There was uh, a longing amongst Austria's intelligentsia not only amongst writers, but also people within the Austrian officers, I should say, within the Austrian Justice Ministry, had this ambition of achieving a society in which offenders, including violent offenders, are not just locked up for the rest of their lives, but can be rehabilitated, can be brought back to society. So when Jack wrote Purgatory, he he presented himself as the 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 answer to to their dreams of of finding an example of a fully rehabilitated violent offender in, in a sense he had everything going for him when he came out of prison he you know he, he was he had funds he had celebrity he had found it seemed a vocation as a writer was it all a confidence trick that's a good question i've done a lot of thinking about that i think I think that what criminal psychologists have concluded about these highly organized, very carefully calculating serial killers is that the, the, the dominant theme in their lives is this, this fantasy, uh, this, this, this fantasy in which, in which uh, sex and, and violence are, are, are combined. I think that Jack was, in many ways a fully developed serial killer with these sadistic fantasies at the time that he went into prison for, for his first murder and didn't change in the least bit. But he was interested in literature, he was interested in lyric poetry, and I think he quickly discovered that as an author, as a writer, this is my, this is my way out. This is the way I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to get out of prison. It was a means to an end. I think so. Of course, it's impossible to completely pull these two strands apart. I noticed that Jack was always interested in keeping a diary long before, well, I should say at least a year before he was sentenced to life in prison, he kept a diary. And recording the day-to-day -day events of his life was something that meant, meant a lot to him. And when he 
found himself in prison, he he really started his career as a letter writer, let, writing letters to various influential persons, writers, uh, journalists, and so forth. And um, so that writing did mean something to him. So it wasn't entirely a means to an end. And you mentioned the diaries, and you've spent years of your life investigating uh, Jack's life, reading diaries, letters, talking to people who knew him, look, talking to criminal psychologists. What drew you to him in the first place? I, I think my initial draw to the story was the city of Vienna. I, I, um, it lies right on the edge of East and West. It was an, a neutral country during the Cold War, so that both the Warsaw Pact countries and the NATO countries had a lot of spies in Vienna. It's a very open city with a lot of international organizations. It, it's a city, I think, in which a lot of people could very easily lead a double life. I heard numerous stories about this, these kinds of dubious characters leading double lives in Vienna, and, and I, I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to write a story about this kind of atmosphere? And I stumbled across this, this story about, about Jack Unterweger, and what was initially curiosity uh, soon, soon became a, a, a real desire to know, how the hell did he do this? How did he get out of prison? What's the truth of this guy? A lot of people, I think, to this day aren't even convinced he was the killer. And I found myself investigating this guy and, and wanting to discover the truth for myself. You know, who was he, and did he really do this, and, and if he really did this, then, then why? At the end of your investigation, how well did you think you really understood Jack Unterweger? I should say that I identified a number of patterns in his behavior and in his speech that turn up in his early 20s, and that you see expressing themselves time and time again, all the way up through the end of his trial in 1994. So you, you see patterns in his behavior and the way he acts. And I think when you're studying a, a psychopath like Jack Unterweger, the important thing is to look at his behavior and not at his speech. What he says and what he writes is not as important as what he's doing. Um, so I felt like he was someone who... I formed many, many observations about. To say that I know him, I think, um, is, is, would, be, would be going too far. I don't think these characters are, are, are possible to know. Did you ever at any stage feel yourself being seduced by him? Because clearly he had a sort of charm and intelligence and articulacy that he, he used with everyone from the criminal justice system to intellectuals to, to the women that he, um, he abducted. Did you ever find yourself being kind of drawn to a sort of terrible sympathy for him in any way? Well, I, I like the idea f from the standpoint of, of, a, of a kind of a, a game of committing the perfect crime, the perfect crime in that you completely, initially at least, get away with it. There, no one sees you doing it. No one, you, you don't leave any evidence. No, no one has any idea that you've done it. And I think that that's what Jack did. He started in Prague he drove into Prague for the weekend. He completely got away with this murder. And then he thought, okay, I got away with it in Prague. Um, he didn't immediately start murdering women in Vienna. He, he committed his second murder in the city of Graz. 
And and then ultimately then commits a second murder in Graz, then commits another murder in another Austrian city, and he keeps getting away with it. Every night, he would go to the cafe next to his apartment and read the evening editions of the following day's newspapers. Not only the Vienna papers, but, but newspapers published in other cities. And he was following the investigation um, by reading about it in the newspapers. And so he commits these murders away from home. He reads about them in the newspapers. He sees from the papers the police are on the wrong track. They're looking at local suspects. They have no idea that I did this. So this causes him to want to up the ante of, okay, so now I'm going to do it at home, here just a few blocks from my apartment, with much greater frequency, which he does, again, completely gets away with it. So now he's he's thinking, um, well, now I've got to get into it. I've got to go into the line into the lion's den and um, actually become active in the investigation. And I, I thought that that is a, a marvelously, though diabolically clever thing from, from purely from the point of view of, of game playing. So I, I have to admit there were, there were times when, when I, I couldn't help be a little bit seduced by, by the, the, the wicked charm of that. And then how did you bring the distance back in and, and escape from that? Well, there were no witnesses to any of the murders that he committed after his release in 1990, but there was a witness to the murder that he committed in Germany in 1974. His girlfriend at the time was with him when he committed the murder. And the police arrested Jack with his girlfriend and they asked his girlfriend um, what happened on the night of December 11th, 1974. And she freely confessed what happened. And I've read the transcript, and it is such a ter- terrifying, upsetting thing that you realize whatever curious fascination we have with these people at, at the end of the, that is serial killers... I think it's important to to realize that their victims are very real and that the suffering that they inflict is very real and it's it's very upsetting if you actually get a glimpse into it. And have you ever speculated if you'd been in Vienna in 1991 if you'd walked into a cafe or a, gone to a, a party and and Jack had been there what kind of man he would have been if you'd been in his his presence what kind of figure he would have cut? I suspect that I wouldn't have liked him at all because he didn't like men. He was only interested in women. He only spoke to men when he felt like he needed to seduce them, uh, whether whether it was a, a male journalist or a police officer or whatever. But uh, he was um, quite boastful and arrogant and, and overbearing in, in the presence of men. So I don't think I would have liked him at all. He comes across as very manipulative of both men and women, but... With women, it's more subtle, and with men, the violence is is barely suppressed beneath the surface, often. Well, I think um, there was a kind of joke that some of these more seasoned crime reporters began circulating around the time of Jack's trial, that that Jack's primary appeal was to women and intellectuals. And I think think what they meant by that was, was that Jack could 
appeal to the maternal instincts of women and the kind of longings, political longings of highly ideological people. If Jack wasn't trying to seduce uh, a magazine editor or or a writer or or, or a journalist, um, if he just confronted a man in a in a in a, in a coffee house, I, I think um, his kind of aggressive, overbearing style definitely would have would have been more manifest. And finally, John, you say in the um, epigraph to the book, if you quote from Wittgenstein, who said, "If a lion could speak, we couldn't understand him." And I wondered if that was your your ultimate verdict on Jack. He's he's ultimately unknowable. Yes, I I think that that to understand what what a guy like Jack is up to, it's it's important not to look look at what he says and to what he writes, but to look at how he behaves and from. We, we these these characters, I think, from their speech are unknowable. John Leake, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.